BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You are listening to the White Sox Talk podcast. It's brought to you as always by Wintrust. Chuck Arfine with you. And today, it is a holiday edition of Distant Replay. As we look back at a classic White Sox game and dissect everything that happened, and we mean everything, reliving the big moments, unearthing stats, and behind-the-scenes stories that have never been told or have been completely forgotten. And today, Santa has come down the chimney and put underneath the Christmas tree Mark Burley's perfect game. So call your sons, call your daughters, call your friends, call your neighbors. Burley's perfecto and the Dwayne Wise catch on this edition of Distant Replay on the White Sox Talk Podcast. White Sox, White Sox, go, go, White Sox. That ball hit deep way back. Deep to left Holy cow. Carl Contreras has put the White Sox ahead. Jimenez leaves the ballpark. You can put it on the board. Yes. We got a chance to do something real special. All right, sit back, relax, and strap it down. It's time for the White Sox Talk Podcast. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! A perfect game by Mark Burley! Well, there it was, July 23rd, 2009. A day that started out like... Any other Thursday afternoon in Chicago, but it produced one of the greatest games in White Sox history, Mark Burley, going 27 up and 27 down against the Tampa Bay Rays. Ryan McGuffey, Chris Kampka, you are with me. We've all rewatched the game, and Chris, you really did your homework. You rewatched it twice? I rewatched it twice, and I listened to it audio on the way here. Just, you know, I wanted to really immerse myself into this game. I wanted to get two views, and then I wanted to just hear it and see if I could just take it in, just relive it. So you're three in. Yeah. Three times. Technically, I'm two in. I was at the game as a fan that day. Wow. And uh, outside of the World Series and the blackout game, which both I worked, but just because of the significance of those two games, it's, it was the greatest game I've ever seen in person. Well, as I, a fa- to be there as a fan. Yeah, I mean, it's, there were 28,000 fans there, and we're going to get to that in a moment. We have so much we're going to get to. I was doing the post-game show that day. Uh, and before we get to the game itself, let's get to the setup because there is a ton here. Let's start with the lineup <laughs> that day and the defense Burley had behind him. And I'm just going to start with the catcher. Yep. Not A.J. Brzezinski. It was Ramon Castro. And, guys, how many times had Ramon Castro caught Mark Burley in his career up until this very game? Zip. He was newly acquired. From the New York Mets. Four. Ooh. Lance Broadway. Lance oh, Broadway. The coveted number one pick of the White Sox of 2004, Chris? Something like that. Five? I think it was 2005. 2005? That sounds yeah. right. Lance yeah. Broadway. It could be like Kyle McCullough. Oh, well, it, That's it, another one. They're, they're back-to-back. Kyle yeah. McCullough. Kyle so, McCullough. 
Yada, yada, yada. Ramon Castro ends up being one of the 22 catchers to receive a perfect game. There's 23 of them. I was just going to say there's one catcher. One catcher caught two. Old, old school? A former White Sox during our lifetimes. Whoa. Fisk? Ron Hassey. Ron, what? Ron, Ron Hassey. Hassey. Oh, Dave Rigetti? No, he caught both Len Barkers with Cleveland and Dennis Martinez with the Expos. Wow, Ron Hassey. That's is, a little that, piece that of is, trivia to kick us off. You gotta love here. to be in Good your own stuff. company. There's gonna be so much trivia. Okay, uh, Gordon Beckham, where was he playing? Third base. He was a rookie. He had just got called up a month earlier. 41st career major league game. He entered the game with a 299 average. I wrote that down. 370 on base. base. I literally wrote that 445 down. 445 slugging. The future looks so bright. There was a quote from Steve Stone during the game. The man you're looking at right now is going to be as good as it gets at third. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the only time he played third base on a regular basis was this season. He then became a second baseman. Maybe that was the reason. Who was your second baseman, Chris Campbell? Oof. Second baseman? Jason Nix, J-A-Y-S-O-N. I, I, just, I feel like I'm at a Ed Farmer. Nix. His <laughs> last name is N-I-X. Which is like Jason Nix. And then the Roman numeral What's your nine. favorite moment of the Jason Nix era? Uh, we're looking at it right here. He was <laughs> in the perfect game. All right, and then if you're going to throw a perfect game, you want to have a dependable first baseman, one of the best defensive first basemen, maybe in the last 50 years for the White Sox. I mean, yep. He's up there. Mm-hmm. Didn't have the greatest range, but he was so Scoop reliable. Him. Unfortunately, Paul Konerko was the DH that day. Who was your first baseman? Josh the, Fields. The third baseman of the future. at The, t- <laughs> the seventh career start at first base out of, out of ten in his whole career. And uh, who knew? Yeah, this is a lineup where this was a day not, game lineup. Yeah, not only that, but we are not going to get a perfect game out of this lineup. Nope, we're just not. There's there, there's no way this defense with Mark Burley, who doesn't strike out that many guys, that together are going to create history. And I forgot about this, and this is I I always went back and thought, oh, it's just a day game, so this was kind of like the off day uh, lineup. But in, in theory, it wasn't because the ne- they were getting on a charter to play a day night doubleheader the next day where Verlander started game one. So they, he was giving a lot of those guys a breather, knowing he would need to play two games. They had a night, night game night. the day before. Yeah, so this was kind of like, well, let's just barely go do his thing, and hopefully we get enough runs to, uh, to get it done. And if that's not enough, A.J. Brzezinski got the day off. His locker was right next to Mark Burley's. They were trash-talking with each other before the game, and it led to Burley telling Brzezinski that he was going to throw a perfect game that day. AJ told this story right here on the podcast, episode 45, and then Burley came on the very next podcast, episode 46, and backed it up. Let's play both of them right now. Well, because before the game, he told me he was going to throw a perfect game, and he did it, and he wouldn't let me leave the locker room because we had lockers next to each other. So he, he, was, he would come in between innings and tell me he was going to throw a perfect game. So I was involved, even though I wasn't involved in it. Okay, wait, so hold, hold on. So you told him, I'd heard that you had said, hey, go out and throw a perfect game, but I didn't know literally between every inning he came in there and told you and reminded you that he was going to throw one? Absolutely. Before <laughs> the game, he told me he was upset he didn't get his Monster Energy drink or something. He didn't get his Red Bull. I don't know what it was. He, he was he was a little bit late, and he's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do anything today. I'm going to stink. And I just looked at him because we had our lockers right next to each other the whole, the whole time, and I was like, dude, just go out and throw a no-hitter and be quiet. And he's like, I already got one of those. I'm like, fine, go out and throw a perfect game. He's like, okay, I will. And then as the game went on, he'd come in. And I'd be the one to come out in the dugout. He's like, nope, you're not allowed out there. He's like, but I'm going to throw a perfect game, and you're not catching. So, ha-ha. He's like a child. He is like a child. And there was no 
people always worry about like superstitions and stuff. He'd talk about it openly in the in the dugout in the clubhouse. There was no like, oh, don't talk about it with him. He'd come in and be like, I'm gonna throw a perfect game. <laughs> so when he did, what, do you remember what you even said to him after he did it? I was like, I hate you. And he's like, and his, he just was like, ha, ah, you weren't catching. Ah, he just kept saying that over and over again. AJ Przinski was telling the story about how you came in and you were just kind of a little frazzled because you didn't, something wasn't right that day. Like you didn't have like your energy drink or something. You didn't have a Red Bull or something like that. So you guys had a conversation and he said something like, just go out there and throw an no hitter. Do you remember this conversation? You there had was something that was said. I, again, I don't remember exactly how it went down, but I do remember because he was locker next to me and we always pretty much jab at each other because that's what we do um and it was something like haha you're not catching or you know something to do with him not catching and he's like yeah since you're not catching you're probably going to throw a perfect game or go out there and throw some kind of game and i'm like yeah you know what i actually i think i'm going to just because you're not catching you can't be a part of it so that it it was something along that line i mean obviously i don't remember exactly word for word but yeah it was there's a little poking going on yeah you rubbed it in as the game was going on right i'm sure i did not do that i don't (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure some of that was going on. Okay. I mean, I went up there in the eighth inning, in between innings, between the eighth and the ninth inning, because I knew the cameras were going to be on me, and I didn't want to be sitting there, and so I just went up in the clubhouse, and I remember walking up to him, like, are you kidding me? What's going on right now? Like, no way this is happening. So, I mean, I, I joked around the whole time. So that is typical Mark Burley, and typical A.J. Pruszynski, that they'd go back and forth, and Mark was unfazed by the moment and just basically, I think that's the kind of demeanor you want to have if you're going to be throwing a perfect game or a no-hitter, that you're not letting the pressure get to you and you're, you're stating the obvious. It kind of like loosens you up. It really, that's, I mean, and Burley, of all people, he'd have it no other way. Yeah. It's probably why he, his, you know, in terms of stuff, he's not a no-hitter guy. We all know that. But in terms of like attitude and kind of like carefree, he's the perfect guy to throw one. So it's maybe why, it, that's why he threw two. All right, so there are 28,036 fans there. Good crowd yeah. for Thursday afternoon. There were 26,000 the night before. So more for a getaway day. And Monday night against the Rays, 39,000 fans were there. There must have been some kind of crazy giveaway. Well, they were in first place. I mean, that's the crazy thing. You want to talk about crazy? They were in first place. And now you're talking about like just after the All-Star break and you're in the middle of summer. So people, those day games, are, that. that and knowing that Mark Burley is the guy, like you could kind of plot, okay, you know what? We could go Wednesday night, but Burley's pitching Thursday. And you, you could have your whole – you'd be done by four. And you knew that. And I went to that game Think I, I used to take my nephew to a game every year. And so I was kind of plotting the same kind of strategy. Well, he's nine. What's the easiest thing? Probably not a night game. We'd have to yeah. leave early. Why don't we do a day game? And that makes the most sense. And it just happened to be – and Burley's pitching. That's, that's exactly how we attacked it. And it ended up being one of the best things and, ever. And let's take it back to 2009 Guaranteed Rate Field, then known as U.S. Cellular Field. Here's a little nugget that I unearthed in the Sports Illustrated article that followed the game. Uh, Up and through that point, um, U.S. Cellular Field had allowed 117 homers in 49 games, 2.39 per game, which is more than Coors Field had allowed to that point that season, Wow. 2.07. Wow. So it is a launching pad in 2009. Let's go over some stats and right into your wheelhouse there, Chris. we got to start with the umpire, Eric Cooper, who was behind the plate for the no-hitter for Mark Burley and this perfect game. And uh, what was his uh, jersey number? 56. 56. What was Burley's jersey number? The same. (laughs) It's so crazy. The only pitchers to throw a perfect game and a no-hitter in history were? 
Well, we've got <clears throat> Mar uh, Jim Bunning, Roy Halladay. Oh, not yet, not yet, not yet. Okay. So Cy Young was the first. Uh, Addie Joss, Jim Bunning, Sandy Koufax, Randy Johnson. That's amazing. That's decent company. <laughs> That's incredible. Burley joined them. When you eventually. hear that, like Burley should be in the Hall of Fame. Just and that alone. I know it's got an argument. Games, but there will be an argument yeah. there. And Halliday is the only guy to do it since. And the other, so he throws the no hitter. Sorry, the perfect game in, in 2009. The last guy we got to talk about the, the previous White Sox pitcher to do it. It was Charlie Robertson, 1922. And I remember doing the post game show, and I'm like, I've never even heard of this guy. So let's talk a little about Charlie Robertson, and then we're going to get to the game. Well, Charlie Robertson was first acquired from the Sherman, Texas Minor League Club in 1917. <laughs> they sent him back for seasoning. Uh, he comes up and pitches one game with the White Sox in 1919. One game. And that's it until 1922. They sent him to Minneapolis for more seasoning. He did pretty well there. He comes back. It's his fifth Major League game in his career, the 4th of 1922, against the Tigers, which were spelled in the Tribune T-Y-G-E-R-S. Why? Because they were managed by Ty Cobb. Ooh. And... Like that. The very improbable thing was he threw a perfect game, and there's some little fun notes that along the game that that happened. In the fifth inning, Hall of Famer Harry Heilman of the Tigers he calls for the ball, tries to show for a foreign substance on the ball. Ty Cobb went to first base to see whether first baseman Earl Sheely's glove did not conceal any coloring matter. Cobb later inspected all parts of Robertson's uniform, <laughs> to which the Chicago Tribune said, to a spectator, it sounded like the squawk of a trimmed sucker. Um, with good writing there. When Cobb was at bat in the seventh inning, he was so centered on the soiled ball that he neglected to connect when the third strike went floating by. He ended up with a perfect game. Only three strikeouts, which is the lowest amount of strikeouts in any perfect game in history. And the Tigers um, submitted several game balls to the league to check I, for ir ir irregularities, right? Cheating has been happening for a long time, yeah, yeah. people. It's American League Houston President Astros. Van Johnson dismissed the charge. I scratched that. It wasn't the fewest Ks, but it was right up there. He had six, actually. That's what Burley had, actually. Yeah, six, just like Burley. And no pitcher would throw another complete game after the Charlie Robertson complete game for another 34 years. Don Larson, 1956 World Series. So a perfect and game. Perfect game. Got it. Okay. I, was, I said complete game. Yeah. Sorry. I was like, wait, what? Big difference. <laughs> perfect game. And the next regular season perfect game after the Charlie Robertson one of 1922 was 42 years later, Jim Bunny, 1964. And then Holy the next crap. American League one was in 1968, Catfish Hunter. Catfish Hunter. His, Catfish Hunter's name comes up a lot in this broadcast. Yes. It does. So let's go to the game. It's Burley against Scott Casimir. I got a few things I want to bring up, and then we're just going to go into it. Picks to click. Hawk Harrelson. <laughs> his pick to click this day. It was Jason Nix. He was thinking Jason Nix is going to come in. He's going to go three for five. I'm going to go, you can put it on the board, Jason Nix. No, well, he was leading at the time, as right. usual. Yes, he was. Hawk was. Steve Stone went with Beckham, and the crew went with Carlos Quinn. Whew, the game begins... With a pitch thrown by Mark Burley. First pitch, B.J. Upton grounds out. 91 miles pitch. an hour. Yep. Um, I looked at all the, all the pitch speeds in the entire game. The ones that are available, they missed a lot of them, including all of them in the fourth inning. Hold on. Before you continue, I go to <laughs> – I knew 
Kamka had already watched it once. And then the next day, I see Kamka watching in the game again at his desk. I go, you're watching it again? And he goes, yeah, I'm charting pitches. <laughs> <laughs> he might so, be the only person in history that's charted the game. Yeah. The first, the first pitch of the game was 91. There was another one in the third inning that was, that was at 92 on the gun, but I don't buy it. it I, don't th- I think it was an error. And the other one that I saw, there's only three 90-plus pitches. The third to last pitch of the game was 91. Okay. So we're saving a little bit for uh, the end. I mean, imagine a guy who's generally saying in the 87, 88 range, throwing a perfect game. I charted a few things myself yeah, throughout yeah. this game, Chuck, and one of those is time of time on the mount, total time on the mount of each inning. Okay. And total time on the mount each game. Two, two minutes and 25 seconds in the first inning. You mentioned that first pitch swinging. Two minute, he spent two minutes and 25 seconds That's on the mound nothing. in the first inning. There are at-bats these days that take 10. His warm-up tosses took longer than two minutes and 25 seconds. <laughs> so Burley was waiting for hitters to get in the box. I noticed that Carlos Pena, Upton, and Pat Burrell all called timeout because Burley was ready to pitch and they weren't ready to hit. Now, let's get to you got to be bleeping me. Things we learned watching, re-watching the game. Now, you guys kind of already touched on it, but the biggest thing for me was Burley before the game mm. scribbled something <laughs> in the mound. And you're thinking, okay, so he's, gonna, you know, he's not really, is he like a religious person? Is he spiritual? Is he thinking about someone who might have passed on? No. What did he scribble into the mound? He scribbled JD number 50. It was for John Danks. And I'm thinking... John Danks, he's on the team. Why would he be scribbling something into the mound? But you, Chris well, Kampka, found out what that was all about. I was digging the internet. I couldn't find it. I couldn't so find I, it either. So I consulted the 2010 White Sox media guide. Missed his start on July 22nd, the day before, with a blister and circulatory problems on his left index finger. So there you go. And when you said that, I remembered that. I remember something because there was a big concern. When you have... Something like that going on with your index oh, yeah. finger. There was a there was some big concerns with John Danks at that time, and those guys, Burley and Danks, were like frickin' frack. They were really close. So uh, he skipped a start, and he was back on July the twenty seventh. All right, other things. There was a beer vendor bobblehead day. Mm-hmm. I've got that one actually. <laughs> of course you. Do. I think I think if it's the same one, I, I do it is have the same one. one. Yeah. And back in two thousand nine, there was this new kind of technology called high def. So we had a graphic. Every time we did a replay, it said Comcast Sportsnet HD. <laughs> like, HD. We're I, HD now. We had an elevator during the game. Like, one of those, like, for those, an elevator is just one of those pop-up graphics that you don't reference. It was, like, CSNChicago.com, and you could hear the typing yep. sound like it was a big deal to go online and <laughs> check out things. Especially <laughs> when I was listening to it but not watching it yeah. in the car on the way here. I'm like, I'm like, please. That's loud. The overemphasis of typing. Every single player name, whoosh. Yep. It was obnoxious. It was very Fox-esque that like was. in terms of like when they were experimenting back in like the early 2000s. And this might jog a few memories for you because in 2009, I think it was only one season, Aflac sponsored the trivia question. Mm-hmm. So you had the Aflac duck. I love that duck. Well, I hated that duck because for the whole season, you'd be you know, watching the game and that darn duck would go, Aflac! And the question was, for this game, name the three Rays that had consecutive 100-plus RBI seasons. And I got two of the three sitting there (laughs) watching it. Um, I had had McGriff and I had Pena. 
Uh, I had Jorge Cantu, but he was Ooh, wrong, and the guess. answer was Aubrey Huff, who I completely blocked out of my memory. Yeah, he's a toolbox, too, so that I, don't, I don't blame you for that. Three managers on the Rays that day. I wrote, I wrote this down. Do it. Take it. Three managers. Three. Who, who, who did I miss out on? Joe Madden, Davey Martinez, yeah. Gabe Kapler. Oh, Gabe Kapler. So I wrote down three World Series winning managers that day. Ozzie Guillen, Joe Madden, Davey Martinez. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right. Kapler so. by far had the best game of any Ray. By far. I wrote Gabe Kapler was a pest entire day. And that reason, it, it goes back to something you just referenced to. Watch his at-bats. He knows Burley's pitch. I, I timed Burley's pitches. There were times where two and a half seconds pitch. He was in the windup. Gabe Kapler literally never steps out of the box, and he's ready to swing Every like there's whether he swings and uh, fouls one off, whether there's a ball, he's just right back in, in his stance, and I think that's that led to the ninth inning. You know what? There's game ready, and then there's burly game ready. He was he burly, was game, burly ready. game ready. Yep. The hawkisms in this game. Amazing. Okay, I got. Well, there's the obvious ones, which we're all going to cover, but the, just the general ones. He gone. Oh, he had a cookie right there. That's a beautiful day in the beautiful city. That's a hang with him, catfish hunter. And then there was the Grand Slam, where he says, you can put it on the board, yes. You know, I thought about that a little bit. What? And I thought about the evolution of Hawk's home run call. That's a great point, and when, I've noticed that myself. When he first did it, yes. it was, you can put it on the board. There was no yes yet. Yes came in a little later. And, then, it, wasn't, and, it, and it wasn't a yes, it was yes. Right. The yes got a little more emphatic. Yes. Then he'd go to a double yes. Oh, yeah, it was yes. Yeah. Right, for the big one. Then yeah. DJ would come in. He when would. did that happen? Uh, probably when DJ came into the booth. Like, I think yeah, I think he was doing it pretty much yeah, like that from the get-go. Season. Okay, okay, okay. You're yeah. so conditioned to not hearing Steve Stone join in with it yeah. that you forgot that, was like that eight year Wimpy and did. DJ were yeah. both right along right, with the ride. Right, right. So Then you forgot we're with the hell yes for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so, all right, so you get the double that. yes. And then after that, I think it was after that, he'd start adding the stretches on the top of it. Sometimes one, sometimes multiple stretches. So by the end of the time, Hawk's home run call had like a sunroof, airbags, and like automatic windows, and all the all the fixes. You know what we should do for uh, before he gets in the Hall of Fame? We should make some kind of video of the evolution of his. Hmm. I think it's a That's great idea. call. It's a great idea. If you played Hawkism Bingo that day, you you would have hit you would have hit four corners straight across diagonal everything. You frost get foul at will. Thank you very much. Well, what all, is, every literally what, everyone? What does Steve Stone tell you for that uh, documentary he did on Hawk about? the way that Hawk called this game. He said the, it was just a masterpiece. I think he said masterful. And I, I specifically he references like the fifth inning on where he knows something's going on. And quite frankly, he knew something was going on. The first time he referenced, he counted, was after the third inning, nine up, nine down. I wrote it down. From nine up, nine down, he referenced it every single inning afterwards. But Steve Stone referenced specifically in the fifth inning that he knew something was going on, and the way Hawk was building and crescendoing, he knew it was time for him to kind of take almost like slide back, take yeah. a back seat, and just add in when he, when he needed to because yeah. Hawk was so masterful. Well, uh, about that, um, I think this is after the eighth inning, and Hawk did his call your sons, call your daughters, and so on and so forth. Yep. You're in the scorebook perfect at that point. Come on. After the eighth? Yeah. <laughs> Really? Yep. Oh, I, I've never heard talk that. to Hawk about this. Yeah. I didn't, I've never heard that before. Yeah, that's from the Sports Illustrated article. That's and a I believe great I've read that somewhere else as well. Yeah, I've, I haven't read it since 2009, so I forgot about that. Well, let's get to that Grand Slam. 
Uh, all right, everyone listening, if you don't know it already, who do you think hit the grand slam? Was it, I don't know, Canerco? Was it, well, Jim Tomey's on the bench. This is it going to be him. Who else could it be? The one and only. Josh Fields hits a grand slam in the bottom of the second inning wearing sunglasses. How often do you see hitters, especially on a day that wasn't even sunny, wearing sunglasses? Yeah, I mean, once you brought that up and we talked about it, I was, geez, I can't, I can't even think of it. He got a cookie. Three, a 3-1 right cookie. What kind of cookie, that though? Carlos Pena came over. I like a, just a nice sugar cookie that was perfectly okay. soft because Carlos Pena came over. Casimir was definitely struggling in the second inning. Threw a ton of pitches, couldn't find the zone. Carlos Pena comes over after, after it was 3-1, says a little something, then he grooves a fastball right down the middle. Josh Fields could do one thing, literally one thing, and it was hit a fastball. And if he was looking for it on a 3-1 count, it's the one time you're looking for it. I have one note. Like a Chris, I'm going Chris Kampka on you. Yeah. The Josh Fields grand slam was his last home run as a member of the White Sox. Whoa! And it's the only grand slam ever hit in the perfect game to this day. (laughs) Um, I got a few thoughts on Josh Fields in the Hall of Fame. Put him in. Goes to Cooperstown. If you take a look at 20 homer seasons by White Sox players who were drafted by the White Sox, who's the last one to do it? Well, Tim Anderson. It's easy. The last one before that is Josh Fields. Mm. And those are the only two players drafted 2,000 or later who hit 20 home runs for the White Sox, drafted by the Don't White make Sox. me turn left and go down that road, because that's so that, another podcast. That's a fun fact there. <laughs> and another thing on Josh Fields, I thought to myself, and if the White Sox have a lot of former college quarterbacks mm. play for them. And they love five the quarterbacks. Them, I could rattle off the top of my head. Oklahoma, Josh Fields, Oklahoma State. Joe Borchard, Stanford. Yes. Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn, back up at Texas. Oh, there's six then. That's right. Forgot about Dunn. Uh, um, who else you got? Herbert Perry, oh, back up in Florida. Wow, the milkman. Um, Clayton Richard, back Cl- up at Michigan. Back up at Michigan. with Mr. Football in the state of Indiana Correct. over Jeff Samarja. And uh, Kevin Smith, Pittsburgh. Oh, Kevon. Six. Played for Dave Wanstead. That's six. There you go. Uh, there's, there's apologies to the uh, <laughs> Snellius family, but uh, Alex Snellius not mentioned after the Grand Slam Great. by Josh Fields. That's a good note by you. <laughs> by the way, fun fact, for many years, my fantasy baseball team name was the Alex Snellius family. That's a <laughs> loving memory really of Ursula. I'm going to steal that. Although, Belton Meldens, you can't top yeah. that. All right, now to the close calls. Burley mm. throws this perfect game, and I list, I'm going to list off some plays that, like, this perfect game could have ended. Burrow flighted out deep to right to end the second. Die made a good catch in right. Longoria hit a liner to end the fourth, but right at Alexi. Wasn't a hard one, but, I mean, if it was to his right or to his left, a little bit more, Alexi's not catching that. A 3-2 pitch to Carlos Pena in the second popped out to Josh Fields. Alexi made a backhander in the fifth on a Zobris ground ball. He had a 3-0 count to Jason mm, Bartlett I wrote in the that. Sixth. I have an asterisk yep. And Bartlett kind of owned him up until that point, ground out. But then... I mean, I had forgotten these last two. B.J. Upton smoked a liner foul leading off the seventh, eight inches foul, and then with two outs in the eighth, Burl crushed a line drive to third that was even closer. Three inches foul. Three inches foul. Yeah, that thing was – I mean, it spun Laz Diaz around. Yeah. To the point where I don't even know how he saw it to make a call. Because I think we have remembered – how do we remember Burley's perfect game? We remember the wise catch – Burley's last out. Yeah. And maybe you remember Josh Fields hitting the Grand Slam. And that's why we watched the game. And that's pretty much it. But then you're watching this over and over. You're watching it again. You're thinking, this perfect game could have ended so many ways. I wrote this down. The eighth inning, the Rays fought. 
the Rays really fought. Zobris, before Burrow goes down the line, just fell. Zobris hits one of those little infield choppers. They just kind of, if it hits the chalk, most of the times if it hits the chalk at, at, at guaranteed right field, that thing stays on the chalk and rolls fair the whole time. And it would have been a guaranteed infield hit. Then he works a 3-2 count. And I mean works, fouls off a few, and finally Burley's able to get him. And then you have the Burl moment. And I just wrote, Rays fought. That inning, the eighth inning, was the most amount of time Burley spent on the mound that day. Five minutes and 46 seconds. <laughs> Nothing. Second most Nothing. pitches. <laughs> he threw a 17 pitches that inning. That's that, was his, that was his longest amount of time on the mound the whole day. The eighth oh, inning. That's, it, that's a thing of beauty. You get the to- a total for the total time? 32 minutes, 4 yeah. seconds. Yeah, 32. 32. Sports Illustrated, 32. You know they, what they, they have 32 even? Yeah. Oh, it, they just rounded it's it. Hard, yeah, it's hard. Okay, good. I'm glad. You have 04. I, I like went 32 04. That's amazing. Because I tried to, tr- I really tried to get like for a moment to the, the first time he stepped, like as he worked himself off the mound. Like that was, I gave those seconds. I'm admiring your notes you have there. We, we, we may have to take a picture of that and tweet that out, Chris. Yeah, it's because there's so much bonus stuff that I'm not going to be able yeah, to get. Let's, How about okay. the list of every perfect game ever done, <laughs> along with... Stuff, look at that. He wrote down every single perfect game <laughs> the, ever the, done. The catcher, <laughs> the last out, every home run, the opposing pitchers, the home plate umpires, and the time of game. And I'm guessing most, there's a, most of the perfect games have a Ramon Castro, Josh Fields in them. There's just there's yeah. you, you don't you're not going to see Randy Johnson with like Carlton Fisk like there's not just Hall of Famer Hall of Famer who, Hall of Famer who caught Randy Johnson's perfect game uh, two thousand that was two thousand four yeah uh, as he was a member of the Diamondbacks uh, two thousand four member of the Diamondbacks I don't know damn how about Robbie Hammock oh Come I was on. I got <laughs> I, I thought maybe Hammock? you were giving us like there was a Chicago reference there yeah and yeah, there's a, a pres- unbelievable but we talked earlier and we played you earlier how what Burley was saying about he's gonna throw a perfect game you know we all say don't jinx anything don't jinx anything whenever there's a no hitter in a perfect game well this is a perfect example of you can jinx whatever you want to when there's a baseball game going on because Mark Burley jinxed himself the whole game, he was at one point, there's a camera showing him in the dugout in the bottom of the sixth. He's laughing, and Steve Stone says on the air, now there's a man who's really tense. He's got to be the loosest fellow around. Yep, and not just that. You know, so many people today, especially on Twitter, they'll blame broadcasters for acknowledging it yeah. or blame the broadcast for acknowledging it. A banner will mm. go up and say, the last perfect game in X history was, and then the guy gives up a hit. As I mentioned, after the third inning, Hawk says nine up, nine down, and after the fifth inning, he is hammering home that he has retired every man he's faced. He says perfect multiple times, no hitter. And I think, actually, there was an art that day that was, that was delivered by Hawk and Stoney because yeah. they played off of the pitcher who was showing you on the mound and in the dugout his mannerisms that say, you know what, I don't give a damn. And so they're going to reference it, too, to say, this is Mark Burley. He would want us to tell you that something is going on. It yeah. might not work for Gavin Floyd or somebody else where they would tense up and have that thing. But for Mark Burley, it worked. It worked in the broadcast, and it worked with his performance. That and day. there's so much great analysis by Stone in here. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the Hawks in, and I think it goes um, local, national, local for the Ford C. Frick. When it's time again to go to the local broadcasters, it's time to, to lead the charge. Steve Stone's got to be next. There haven't been too many analysts, Mm-mm. if any, that have he's, gotten in. I'm trying to think about that. Yeah, well, he's got to break that mold. Yeah, look, he's worked he's with Hall of Famers good. after Hall of Famers. Yeah. So. so why is Hawk a Hall of Famer? Well, after Burley got Burl to line out to end the eighth, 
one of the best ad-libbed calls I can think of in baseball history. It is, call your sons, call your daughters, call your friend, call your neighbors. I mean, that's like, there's so much there. And then he goes, Mark Burley has a perfect game going to the ninth. How Great. many of us actually call our sons, daughters, friends, or neighbors? It was kind of a nice rich. just reminder right in the moment. Just like maybe you should just say, call them to say hi. What, yeah. what, read what I circled here, Chuck. Your favorite of Hawks calls. That's because it was so organic. Yeah. And as you mentioned, just unscripted and in the moment. And how he delivered it. Yes. Call your sons. Call your daughters. Call your friends. Call your neighbors. I mean, it's just the perfect thing. It just hits hits it on so many different ways. And not just that. Can't you see, like, at, as soon as he signs off there, him picking up the phone saying, Casey, if you're yeah. not watching the game, you know, Eris, if you're not watching, Mark Burles, like almost kind of like a reminder to everyone because I'm about to make a call myself. I wonder if people at that point who lived in Bridgeport were racing to the park to try to get in. Because I should have been. It should have been. It looked like it filled up. as And, and players have said this, that they it felt like the place was filling up as the game went on, which I... I certainly the intensity. I can promise you in the seats, the intensity from like the sixth inning on, it felt like it was a moment. It was one yeah. of those things where you were acknowledging your section, two, two rows back, two rows up. You're all high-fiving after every out. And it was just one of those Talk family moments. Nephew, story you my, my nephew in the fifth inning, I, I kind of recognized, like, I looked up at the scoreboard and was like, he's got no hits. I don't remember him walking anybody. And I, at that point, I acknowledged I knew he had a perfect game. So I told my nephew about, like, hey, what's going on here? He hasn't allowed a hit. And he's like, he's got a no-hitter. Well, then everybody in the crowd started doing that panic thing where, hey, kid, you can't say that. And so what happened was after every out, they made Drew acknowledge the fact that he still had a no-hitter. And then after the sixth, we acknowledged he had a perfect game. And so the fans, he became kind of like the mascot of <coughs> section, section 141, <laughs> where, like, you had guys five rows up coming down to high-five him after every half inning. That's awesome. Now let's get to the Dwayne Wise catch. It's the ninth inning. And, yes, Dwayne Wise is an unsung hero in this, but the other unsung hero is Ozzie Guillen. No doubt. Because he moved Scott Pitsednik from center to left, and he put Wise into the game to play center for this very <laughs> inning. And Gabe Kapler was leading off. It was a 2-2 count. And this is what happened. That ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! A great catch by Dwayne Wise! It's unbelievable as Wise goes back into the wall knowing he has no room to spare. He goes up over the wall and then juggles it before corralling it. What a play by Wise. Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen in 50 years in this game. Okay, guys, there is so much to this catch. Wise had just entered the game. He had been sitting on the bench the whole game. This was the first batter of the inning. He ran about, would you say, 40 yards? Oh, 50? Yeah, I I think so. 40 yards, I think, is is healthy. This ball was... Literally hit over the fence. He brought it back, bobbled it while falling down. And while he's falling down and is bobbling it, you're thinking, well, he'll have to catch it with his mitt because how can you catch it barehanded? Oh, no. 
He caught it bare With his opposite hand, yeah. With his opposite, it's insane. It really is. I mean, you know, under the circumstances becomes yes. one of the, another, one of the I just know. great in the moment calls because it's, of course, Hawk magnifies it by saying, you know, I've, in the last, in the 50 years in the game, but every perfect game or no hitter has this, a defensive moment, not like that, not like that, to the no. point where they still acknowledge it at the ballpark, it says the catch, not like that. And not under those circumstances where a guy's been in the dugout the entire game. And it's the ninth. Like, Dwayne Weiss, all he can do, is, and it's the ninth, and it's the ninth when all eyes are on you. National broadcasts are taking the feed, and here he comes. All he can do is stretch, maybe do a little bit of you know light running in the tunnel. He's not really warmed up. Like by the time he gets no, to center field, you're not warmed up. For and that. the first batter, he is. It's not just a forty. It's a forty-yard dash that he runs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you watch that play, he turns immediately and is. High talent as fast as he, he can. knows. Okay, I got to try and save this perfect game. I believe he's worked in the uh, weight room working out a lot of the game. So by the time Guillen called him up, he was like, you know, worked up a sweat. And I, but in terms I of like I, just turning well, out oh, and sure. running, like absolutely. Full, yeah, I think I read that he really wasn't aware at right away that there was a perfect game, which is good, right? Uh, maybe, yeah, not. Well, um, maybe. maybe. I don't know. The way yeah. he the the bobble is like. There's so many impressive things about it. the the bobble. I mean, how many times do we see a guy come close to making just a superb catch and it just it pops out and you're just like, man, what a play anyway. Yeah. But to, to have, like, I don't even, like, to have, like, the center of gravity, to have all of that be going through your head and just in the moment, I mean, yeah, like, under, I was at the game, I thought, you, you, when you're at a game, you know immediately when a ball's hit off yeah. the bat, it's gone. And it was as, as soon as you heard the pop off the bat, you just had that sick to your stomach feeling when the ball was in the air. You're like, I can't believe it. I can't believe like this guy, this moment, it's going to end this way. It's a clutch play. Um, a, a couple interesting notes about it. He, he jumped up <clears throat> and he leaped into uh, Billy, Billy Pierce's Pierce. face. <laughs> who, <clears throat> in 1958? <laughs> yeah, of course you're going to do. June 27, 1958. <laughs> he had a perfect game with um, two outs in the ninth inning. <laughs> and pinch hitter Ed Fitzgerald hit a double for the Washington Senators. Oh, man. Uh, so it was like he almost had one, and then he's getting – and also here's, here's probably the most fun fact of this. Um, Jermaine, or, um, Dwayne Wise. Yeah. First major league catch he ever made was of Jermaine Dye, who was standing – in yeah, 180 years. How about this? Last left. perfect game throw in the majors was Randy Johnson in 04. We mentioned it against the Braves. Who was on the Braves? Dwayne, Dwayne Wise. Wise. No, was he really? I yeah. got one nugget for you. Have you ever asked Pods if he'd make the catch? Yes. I have. Yes. Yeah. He, he could not have caught it. No. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. I mean, there's no – and, again, a brilliant move by us again. All right, a couple things here. One, Burley's reaction, he had no reaction. <laughs> they show a cutaway of him when Wise is making the catch, and you would have no – indication from Burley that this was anything special because he was kind of just staying in the moment. We had John Burley, his dad, Mark's dad, on the postgame show that day. We called him up, and this is a great quote from Mark Burley's dad, John. I have a pacemaker, and I'm glad I've got one because that's the only thing that kept my heart going when I saw that catch. (laughs) And then here's another. Ozzy, I think, learned something from a game that happened in 2008 that put Wise in the game. Gavin Floyd had a no-hitter versus the Twins in 2008. Nick Swisher was in center. He could have put Brian Anderson in the game in the ninth inning. He didn't. There was one out in the ninth. Joe Maurer 
hit one to left center. Swisher couldn't catch it, got a double. I think Anderson would have caught it. Remember how I told you? I asked you about BA. I was going to text yep. BA and ask him, hey, do you think you could have caught it? I think he could have caught that. Gavin Floyd could have had a, a, a no-hitter. You know what's so funny? I So I think that that helped lead to this. I was at that game, too. <laughs> you were at that game. I, I was. was at that game. Working. I was at that game. I was like, I can't I, believe Gavin Floyd's going to throw a no-no. I remember that, watching that He one. had multiple times where he went – Sixth, seventh inning with a no hitter, but that game he actually took deep. At yeah. least, at least three or four. Yeah, I was in the camera well because I'm preparing. I was a reporter. I was preparing to be interviewing Gavin Floyd about a right. no hitter. So yeah. I was just watching this, and I remember, I vividly remember Swisher. You know, they, <laughs> it was a base hit. Mm-hmm. Joe Mauer got a double out of this because Swisher was doing everything in his power to catch it, but he just didn't have the the speed of uh, that that was needed for that to actually be caught. All right, now. The next batter was Hernandez. Burley strikes him out in a changeup, and Hawk goes, he gone, one to go. Another brilliant call in the moment. Before that, he, he went 3-1 to Hernandez, though. Wow. So Wise makes the catch. He goes 3-1 to Hernandez. And I don't I – don't, then um, his next pitch, Hernandez is taking all the way. And he goes, there's one, 3-2, and then he strikes him out. But the one to go is phenomenal. You know right. what? I, I got to go back one second. We have an interview with – Dwayne Wise on the field after the game. Josh Mora, our great friend, former colleague, Josh Mora, caught up with Dwayne Wise right on the field after the game. Let's hear what Wise said about that catch. Do you realize what you did? You just saved a perfect game. Yeah, I know. I, I knew once I came in the game, uh, I felt like I was going to have to make the play. Because anytime uh, a guy comes off the bench and has to go in the game late, it's like the ball always finds you. And I told myself I was, I was going to run through the wall to try to catch this ball. Well, you practically did run through the wall. What's your thought as you're tracking that, as you're tracking the fly ball to left center? I got to catch this ball. You know, Burley pitched a great game, and, you know, I was just going to try to do my best to catch it. Did you have a beat on it the whole way? I mean, did you think you had it? Well, when the ball was here, I knew I had to get on my horse and get back to the wall. And, um, you know, just stayed up and gave me enough time to run up on it and make the uh, leap and catch. So your feeling when you had the ball in your glove, was it relief? Was it joy? What was it? It was relief. You know, I knew he had a perfect game going on. And, um, you know, when I, when I caught the ball, when I hit the wall, as I was falling, the ball was kind of coming up, and I barehanded. And I was just so pumped, you know, when I caught it. It was just, just an unbelievable feeling. What did Mark say to you afterwards there? Just great catch. He told me thank you. Well, if there's one moment, one game, one play that Dwayne Wise will always be known for, that one he's a legend for one play yeah i think so um i mean here in chicago he is yeah that's, very all important you, you, play. You, all, that's all you need to do sports heroes are sometimes a, a career and sometimes they're one moment and mark burley and Dwayne wise will forever be connected because of it all right now we're getting to the final out chris you had something you wanted to add before we get to it yeah so after he said one to go you did not hear hawk harrelson say anything else until the alexei 70 seconds in between. Yeah, now, so, Steve says a few things, right. but Hawk, nothing for 70 seconds. Okay, four-pitch at bat to Jason Bartlett, who came into that game batting 342. And what I wrote down here was, how many words did Hawk say on the air until Jason Bartlett made contact for the final out? And the answer is none. <laughs> he didn't say anything. Uh, but that's so, part of the brilliance of that game by him. Yeah. I think he Winning actually. Moment, I, I think he wanted beat. in the moment. I mean, we talked. About, we've made so much fun of Hawk when, when, you know, a guy hits a walk off against the White right, Sox right. and he does the same thing. But I think in this particular moment, he wanted the pictures to do the talking, and that he would add the frosting when it was time. I, I really, I, I kind of agree with Stoney. I mean, watching that game, like 
you really do the, the appreciation of Hawk. And Hawk will tell you his favorite moment as a broadcaster is Mark Perley's perfect game. I mean, yeah. let's play this moment in history, the final out that made Mark Burley perfect and Hawks call for the ages. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! A perfect game by Mark Burley! All right, so at this point, I'm on the set with Bill Melton and we are scrambling there's always a scramble to get on the air whenever there's a quick game like this, but we are now realizing we, we're talking about a perfect game here. And I love the shot of Burley with his glove over his face and the whole crowd behind him. It's just like poetry. You couldn't like, it's like a Michelangelo for White Sox Nation. And after the last out, they cut to this, you know, they show the, the crowd. And every time I see it, I, th- I think about the father, the young father in the crowd, and he's jumping up and down with his like two-year-old son in his hands. And I'm thinking that that child has no idea what's going on, but now he's 12, 13 years old, and he was a part of history. That's, a, that's, a, that's, what, that's, what, that's why baseball is awesome. It's a generational game. You hand it down. You know, I mean, my nephew to this day is a sophomore in college. You know, like yeah. I presented him with a poster and ticket stub pictures from that day that we always used to go to. We're connected by that moment. We, he still references it on the anniversary of it. And he's not nearly, as, but he's a Sox fan because of it. He texts me on the anniversary every year. Every really? year. He texts me. That's he's like, awesome. I'll never forget that day. It's a generation. That's the best part about baseball. It's a hand-me-down game. So that father, when I, when I watched it and I saw the fans, it just made me think about, how much I want the ballpark to be like that again. Mm. And that wasn't even a playoff game, but 30,000 there on a day game. And just all being able to ch- like have a moment like that, when this thing hopefully gets off the ground and it, it becomes a thing again and they're sustainable and they're winning, like that, that place, when they're winning and it's rolling like that, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's magical. And if you want to watch this game, it is on the internet. If you Google Mark Burley perfect game and uh, – type in videos like six or seven or five or six videos in the whole game is there so if you want to watch this you are able to do it yeah i mean um the perfect game is something that there's really nothing like it in any other sport i mean i'm talking about like hockey basketball football there's nothing comparable to a perfect game no it's one guy and the spotlight's on him and it's him against the other team like there's there's just nothing like it. And the odds are so oh, yeah. ridiculously Speaking small. Speaking of which, Steve says on the air, that's the first time I've ever seen a no-hitter or a perfect game. Steve Stone said <laughs> that's that. My, that's my you got to be bleeping me right. moment. I couldn't believe and that. And then Hawk goes, I think I've seen 13. Yeah, and then Steve <laughs> chuckled. <laughs> Steve did laugh. The best part of it is Steve laughs. Because you know, it's just like, I think it's my 13th. And that's the Forrest Gump life of <laughs> Hawk Harrelson. Steve Stone has been to just as many games as Hawk Harrelson. Played in probably as many games. Or not played, but he was a pitcher. But didn't see one perfect game, one no-hitter. Hawk has seen about 13. It was a pitcher with, like, a Hall of Fame staff <laughs> yeah. and never saw one. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, mean, yeah, I mean, there was Palmer, um, some other good ones. Mike Flanagan was there. But three, of a, three guys he pitched with, one, one Cy Young's, right? Including himself, if you include him, I believe he's one of three on that staff to have won a Cy Young. 
Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's right. It's just it's, right. it's it's incredibly unlikely for a guy who'd been broadcasting for 30 plus years yeah. to not even see a no hitter. It's crazy. Uh, Melton said he had never seen uh, a perfect game or a no hitter either. So Burley's talking with the media on the field, and something was just so jarring here in 2020. You see, or 2019, it's almost 2020. You see someone from a radio station. <laughs> he doesn't have a microphone. What does he have? He's got a flip phone. Bruce Levine. <laughs> Is it, was it, Bruce it was Bruce. Levine? Oh, yeah, I so wrote it down. Flip he's, phone. He's, call, he, he's called his radio station, and they're just taking Mark Burley live on the field. And there it is, a flip phone. Getting they, it just kind of like appears, too. It's like yeah. Burley's talking, and then just flip phone kind of comes down, <laughs> like floating from the sky. And then there's a wide shot of, like, the whole scrum, and you see Bruce hang, hanging on to it. All right, Bruce, let's always go. on the spot. Yes. Let's hear from Mark Burley and our sideline reporter that day for Comcast Sportsnet was none other than Sarah Kustak, and she catches up with the perfect game maestro. Mark Burley. Mark, describe how you feel right now. <laughs> I don't know. I did a no-hitter. I was surprised as can be when I do that. Perfect game. It's a, I mean, I tell you, no-hitter is impossible to throw, and here's a perfect game. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Unbelievable. What was going through your mind when you saw Dwayne Wise go up for that catch to get the second out? I was hoping it was staying in here to give him enough room to catch. I mean, I know these guys are out there trying to trying to do everything they can to, to try to save the perfect game, no hitter, whatever it is. So I was just hoping it didn't have enough distance to get out of here. Mark, every pitcher is different. But what were you like throughout each inning in the dugout? Same, I saw you talking a lot to the Same as before. Left. I mean, I go up and talk to people. I don't. I'm not big on when the camera goes on you and like sit there and they talk about you. So I take it inside. I don't. I don't like the camera being on me. So I just walk around, talk to the guys, and you know, if it happens, it happens. If it don't, it don't. Mark, this is something that a White Sox player has not done since 1922. Can you try and wrap up what it feels like to be the player to bring this to these fans into well, the stadium? I don't know if it's really sunk in yet. I mean, I've got a little short flight to Detroit. I'm sure. The rest of the night will be pretty hectic, but uh, it'll probably sink in a little bit later. And, Mark, you've thrown no-hitters before, come very close to this, but have you ever in your entire career experienced something that feels quite no. like it? No, I mean, I'll obviously win the World Series just tops anything, but on a personal goal, and then, you know, obviously guys playing defense, this, this tops them all. All right, well, it looks like you've got a lot of guys waiting for you. Hawk Stoning, back up to you. All right, Sarah, nice job, honey. Okay, I purposely kept in that last line. <laughs> nice job, honey. Because that's an inside joke that we have here in the, in the newsroom. We just love, because he would call her sweetie and honey, which is not maybe politically correct. Well, in 2019, it certainly wouldn't work as no, much as no, in 2019. No, no, But listen. There was uh, no derogatory. No, yeah. there was, it was all love Sarah. between yeah. Sarah and Hawk and all And the White Sox. The, the White Sox, the players yeah. So it was, you know. It, My favorite part of the postgame, and it has nothing to do with Burley's interview with Sarah, but when they all come out and they're all celebrating Mark and everyone's ecstatic, I was like, oh, look at Gavin Floyd. Oh, wait, that's not Gavin Floyd. That's Osney Gian wearing Gavin Floyd's jersey. And there's a reason why. Okay. What the reason is, is that you are not allowed on the field unless you have an official jersey. Now, the Gian brothers would sometimes, you know, sons, would be in the dugout. You right. would never, you shouldn't see them at all ever on the field. So to get on the field... You need a jersey. So he threw, so on, he, Gavin. He threw on Gavin Floyd's jersey. <laughs> Smart move. Yeah, I don't know, know this for a fact, but that is the it's, only reason I can come up with very why likely. he would do that. Uh, but that, that's a great call by you. So here's my favorite stat of the day. The time of game for the perfect game was two hours and three minutes. 
Our post-game show was two hours and five minutes. The post-game show was longer than the freaking game. Wow. <laughs> we were on the air forever. I we, think you mentioned that earlier, right? The, the first no-hitter was also 2.03. Yeah. Early no, first no-hitter. I did not know that. Yeah. And we didn't take a commercial break on the post-game show for an hour and 45 minutes. We stayed on the air live without going to a break. As we should have, because yeah. that's... And to also give you an idea of how things have changed at MLB Network, it was the infancy of that channel. They took our post-game show. MLB Network ran our post-game show. Like, that would never happen today. They just didn't have the staffing yeah, like they, they, they would. Now. I forgot they would dip in and just be like, hey, yeah, and they would just credit you. And Obama... President Obama called from Air Force One to speak and congratulate Mr. Burley. And uh, you got something there? That picture oh, right there. He has a picture of it. In the uh, Sports Illustrated. In Sports yeah. Illustrated, yep. And they won the game. Well, do you got anything more on the perfect game before I move on? Uh, if something comes to me, I'll check. Okay, okay. So they win that game due to the White Sox. They got back into first place for the first time in almost two months. And I think someone asked Burley in the post-game press conference, hey, could a win like this propel you, you know, to really keep this thing moving? And I don't know what his answer was, but clearly the, in reality the answer was no. His answer, his, his answer was, I don't know, the last time I did this, I think we actually went the opposite way and just tanked. You're right, now I remember. Yeah. You're right. And yep. that's what the White Sox yep. did. And this, that's the thing about baseball. The White Sox went to Detroit, then they went to Minnesota. They lost six of the last of the next seven games. You want to hear the pitchers, by the way, in that Detroit series, which was a four-game series? These are some of the pitchers that pitched in that game. I'm going to include both teams. Justin Verlander, Jose Contreras, Bartolo Colon, Edwin Jackson, Gavin Floyd, Rick Porcello. Wasn't David Price on there, too? No. No. Oh, Price was on the race. I'm sorry. Verlander, Edwin Jackson, Rick Porcello, Bartolo Colon, Jose Contreras, and Gavin Floyd. I got a Colon stat. All right. Bartolo Colon, as you said, was on the White Sox. Mm -hmm. He started the next day in Detroit. That was his last start of the season. This is 2009. He would not pitch again in the majors until 2011. <laughs> and then pitched eight seasons after that. And wants to pitch again. <laughs> that perfect game snapped a 13,729-game drought for the White Sox. So that was a perfect game. <laughs> so. You didn't add all that up, did you? No, I did it before. He found it. Oh, you, you did. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Scott, Scott Kazmir struggled that day. I saw, I went back and oh, looked, uh, of, of pitchers, of teams that he had 10 or more starts of in his career, a 5.40 ERA was the highest against any team. There's a fun Kazmir line from Steve Stone that I wrote down uh, in, in regards to the trade where the Mets traded him. Uh, <laughs> it was fun. He goes, <laughs> he was a highly touted prospect. They, however, could not live without Victor Zimbrano. <laughs> and, so the, and so the Rays got Scott Kansmere. And Steve said something about, like, there was, you had on the base paths, oh. you had Canerco, Ramon Castro, and was it Fields? You know, no, Fields hit the slam. It was Canerco, Castro, and... Yeah, Quentin. That's who it was. Yeah, yes. and he's, he said something sarcastically. Not exactly the greatest of speed yeah. on the base paths <laughs> right now. With those and then guys. Josh Fields hits the grand slam. All right, uh, have you guys emptied your, uh, your tank, emptying your notebooks? I have one little nugget that's about Alexei in this game. I, I, I have three exclamation marks next to that. Alexei walked in the bottom of the third, and then in the fifth inning purposely tried to go to the right side and executed. And I can't remember a game ever after that that he did both. And Scott Pitsenik was on second with a double, right? Mm-hmm. And 
what I noticed when he hit the double, he's running from first to second. I'm like, man, I miss him running yeah. the bases. He had a special. He was like a, like he was like a. It's a hard gazelle. to explain. He was like a, a, a gazelle. And yeah. he bet this is what he slashed that year. He was 33, and he has said that he didn't really start learning how to hit until he was 30. He's 33 years old. He slashed that season with the White Sox. 304, 353, 412, stole 30 bases. Was a free agent. The White Sox didn't bring him back. The Royals signed him the next year. He hit 310, stole 30 more bases in only 95 games. Yeah, I forgot about 34. that. I, for, I forgot the fact that he went to the Royals. I do remember he had, when he, the Sox brought him back, he had a good year. But, yeah, I mean, that's – I also wrote the last nugget I have to empty the playbook is that Carlos Quinton was baseball's happiest man. <laughs> I love Carlos Quinton. He went down September 1st, 2008. Would have easily been the MVP that year. Well, he had 36 home runs. Who was second in the American League at the time? Die with 32. Wow. Um, so in the Sports Illustrated, it says this. On the 40-minute flight to Detroit that night, he, Burley, tried to figure it out. Burley sat on the plane with Jim Tomey and Paul Konerko, and they calculated the percentage of Major League games that have been perfect. That is awesome. Because Konerko would be that type of guy yes. to be like, Break hang on. Down. how Can many? Because it's like it's, he used to do the New York Times cross proposal every day. But the fact that he would be like, you know what, I'm curious. Total number of games played divided by 22, you know, equals this. And then the percentage of games, I guarantee you they figured it out. Yeah. Like, you think about a bunch of ball players on a plane. They're, like, playing cards or something. Yep. Can you imagine Burley, Canerco, and Tommy sitting there? With I can't imagine Canerco. And I can't imagine Burley and Tommy, like, flanking him, just waiting for him to figure and, it and out. Tommy just nodding, like, yes. loving yes. every second of this. Right? Like, as, his, as he does the math. Exactly. Right? It's, it's like, in his blood. No, you gotta multiply thirty times like one sixty-two. And, and, and is there any doubt like he was doing like long form division and oh, stuff yeah, like no handwritten? Question. Yeah. Yeah, they're not using a calculator. Those are notes that you those are notes I'd like to bid on. Well oh, yeah. yo. <laughs> it's, on a, it's probably on a uh, United Airlines cocktail, cocktail napkin. napkin. Yep. Well, hey, we hope you've enjoyed this Mark Burley edition of Distant Replay. We already have our next distant replay lined up, and I would actually call it a demonic mark burley game it was the day when the baseball gods didn't take over it was more like the devil took over mm, nice tease yeah so this is a game that if you don't know about this should we should i say anything more about it or just keep it at that i thought it was a great tease you can do whatever you want Chuck. all right we're just gonna add it we're gonna leave it there <laughs> we're gonna leave it there you're gonna love it it is so quirky and, in, and crazy so we're gonna get to that that'll probably we'll try to do that next month and thursday a conversation with Burley's old friend on the podcast, Joe West. Yes, the Joe West. Joe West. Uh, I had a chance to speak with Joe West about Hawk, Ozzy, robotic umps, the making of the movie Naked Gun. And if you're under the age of 30, it's not the kind of movie you might think it is. That's a comedy. <laughs> uh, Joe West, I uh, never really like it when he's on the field and calling White Sox games because he's made me crazy, but... I want to say that meeting him and talking with him, I need to remind myself there is a human being in there, and I think you're going to come to appreciate or at least understand. You may not appreciate Joe West, and that's okay if you don't, but just understand and the stories he can tell and who he is as a person, and uh, this is a fun conversation. That podcast will drop on Thursday. Well, hopefully you follow the second rule of baseball, which the first rule of baseball is you've got to catch the ball. Second rule of baseball is don't mess with Joe West. Well, he tells a story about, and actually, Hawk has been on this podcast. He told the story first, and then Joe confirmed it, that how they became friends, what happened, because they used to hate each other. 
<laughs> I'm just going to say it. Uh, Hawk approached Joe West when he was in the shower. And that, that told makes him to, and I, said, don't die on me, Joe West. I always looked at Joe West and Hawk as like baseball's version of a wrestling match. So I never was actually upset when Joe West was doing a White Sox game because you just didn't know it was going to happen. Oh, that's true. That is true. This was fun, guys. It's great. This was, I mean, this was right in our wheelhouse. And I hope everyone out there have enjoyed it as much as we did. And that is a wrap for this edition of the White Sox Talk Podcast, brought to you by Wintrust, your home for White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Go to their special White Sox webpage. It is www.wintrust.com slash socks. Call your sons. Call your daughters. Call, call your, your friends. <laughs> call your neighbors. And tell them to subscribe to the White Sox Talk Podcast. Hawk Harrelson, take it away. Thanks, our Chuck. And this edition of the White Sox Talk Podcast is over. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.